Hello, 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 and welcome to part two of the 42nd edition of Where They At. My name is Nabate Isles, and this will be the continuation of my interview with the great filmmaker, one of the most prolific of his generation, Taylor Hackford. He won an Academy Award in 1978 for Best Live Action Short for his film Teenage Father. Also, he's directed a plethora of films that we all know to this day, like An Officer and a Gentleman, The Devil's Advocate, Against All Odds, Dolores Claiborne, Everybody's All American, and of course, he directed the biopic on the legendary musician and businessman Ray Charles called Ray, which gave him an Academy Award nomination for Best Director. So uh, we're gonna start part two of this interview with Taylor Hackford on the film Ray and the process of getting it made and his work with Jamie Foxx, as well as his relationship with the iconic Ray Charles. So here we go with part two of my interview with Taylor Hackford. Jamie Foxx was interesting going into Ray. Um, now Al Pacino is Al Pacino. And this was interesting on um, the set of Any Given Sunday. That scene where Jamie and Pacino having that exchange, you know, because that tug of war with Pacino's old school coach and Jamie's like the new quarterback and he wants to do things his way. But it was funny at when they called when Oliver Stone called cut, uh, Al Pacino was like, and you're a great actor to Jamie Foxx. Like, and Jamie said right there, that was like Al Pacino to say that. And and Jamie Foxx, like that year, not just Ray with him winning Academy Award, but a very underrated performance because because of his Ray performance, Collateral too, which was a, I mean, that that was really impressive, his performance there too, nominated for supporting actor. So Jamie, in the preparation for Ray, I know you've, you've talked about this a lot, but, you know, Ray and Jamie, the connection that they had and the trust in Jamie that Ray had to play the role and how you how you pushed Jamie. You really pushed him, too. Well, you know, Jamie and I had a we had a very strong bond, mm -hmm. very strong collaboration. I mean, I, I still, you know, Jamie's a, a real man. Mm -hmm. In the sense that you know, we're not being pejorative, you know, but people know what I mean. He he's a responsible guy. Mm -hmm. He stands up. He takes the responsibility for his family and and for his work. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, in in this instance with with Jamie and Ray, you know, I had a relationship. I had a fifteen year relationship with Ray Charles. You know, I I wow. won the rights. I mean, that was one of the great moments of my life to be able to spend that much time with a true genius, but a tough son of a gun. Let me tell you, mm -hmm. Ray Charles was not easy, mm -hmm. <laughs> but he was great to me. And and I knew when I cast Jamie um, that I was going to have to bring him in. And, you know, Ray said, no, man, you got the eyes. I trust you, whatever you want. But that's bullshit. Ray Charles is not going <laughs> to let somebody play that role without, you know. So I brought them in and and, and put them together. And, I, and Jamie plays the piano and, I, and he's yeah. really good. He yeah. went to, he went, in fact, the reason I cast him, you know, he's a irreverent comedian. He comes in and I say, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, I'm sure I'm going to use Ray Charles' real voice. So somebody's going to, uh, you know, have to lip sync. And of course, for me, because I, but I also knew he was a singer, but I said, I'm going to have to find somebody who could play the piano. 
who's really good because match because I'm gonna you know Ray Charles is a brilliant jazz pianist. Absolutely. I have to match that and then use the cinematic trick to come up to the face of the actor. Jamie says you don't have to do that. I play the piano. I said yes, yeah, so do I, Jamie. But we ain't no Ray Charles, right? <laughs> and he goes, no, I I, uh, I I started playing when I was four years old. Uh, I played the, the, in my gospel church. I played, uh, you know, in high school. I went to university on a piano scholarship. And I went, oh, yeah, oh, you know, jazz, funk, whatever. He goes, no, classical. And when I heard that, that Jamie Foxx from Texas, who was on Tyler, the football, Tyler, Texas. On the football team, That's right. went to college playing Chopin and Beethoven. Mm-hmm. I went, That's it. I'm casting him. Because that just says everything, doesn't it? It says right. intellect, it says discipline, it says all the stuff you don't know. Mm-hmm. And I never regretted it for a second. But anyway, I put the two of them together. And, you know, Ray, you know, he's a musician through and through and a man. Mm-hmm. And he needed to test Jamie. And he starts playing. And they and they played a little funk. They played that. Played a little gospel. Played that. Mm-hmm. And then Ray started playing Straight No Chaser by Flo. Yep. And, you know, if you know Monk, and, you know, there's nobody more brilliant. But Monk doesn't follow rules, you know. I mean, his, right. his whole style of playing, his whole, you know, uh, in, intricate but very uh, idiosyncratic rhythms. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. like, you know, not easy. Yeah. And Jamie was lost, completely lost. And I went, what, what's going on? Well, I didn't realize it because, again, cliche, right? Jamie plays the piano. He's black. Of course he played jazz. He'd never played jazz. He'd never played. Not the real, like, Bud Powell, Thelonious Monk, yeah. finest newborn type of stuff. No, right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, mm-hmm. wasn't something he'd done. He'd done other things on the piano. Mm-hmm. So Ray wouldn't give up. He just wouldn't give up. And uh, mm-hmm. it got embarrassing because he kept you know, that straight no chaser. It's like, oh my God, this is going to blow up my face. I just put the two together and it's going to blow up because this is embarrassing for Jamie. I had a camera on it. Wow. And wow. finally, Ray just, this is who Ray was. Ray said, Jamie, stop. Now just stop. Now I want you to listen. It's right under your fingers, man. And he played it slow. It's right under your fingers. Mm-hmm. And now Jamie did it. And Ray like, hugged himself. Ray, when he got excited, he'd hug himself. That's it. He's the one. <laughs> he anointed Jamie right there in front of our eyes. Jamie, if if one could levitate, he would have been eight feet off the ground because yes. he had been anointed by the guy. From mm-hmm. that moment on, Ray said, he's cool. You don't have to check with me. He's the guy. It's he fine. knew it. He knew it. And I knew it. But most importantly, Jamie knew it. Yes. Yes. And uh, and and from that moment on, because I said to I said to, to Jamie, and this was an important thing. I said, listen, man, we're in deep shit. You and I are in deep shit because we're taking on uh, a job here where we're we're going to be dealing with and treating Ray Charles, who Mm -hmm. who is, you know, who is, he is a hero. He is a brilliant genius. He is recognized by everybody. But, you know, especially in the black world, Mm -hmm. I said, you live in the black world. I got black friends. And, you know, for you, it's going to be, uh, well, Jamie, I guess you just couldn't do it. You're hearing that from your cousins, from your aunts and uncles. Yeah, his <laughs> colleagues, everyone, yeah. 
that's the way it's going to be. And for me, I'm going to hear, you know, from my black friends, how dare you, you know, <laughs> how dare you do that? You know, at this point, we got to, and so that's the thing, we clung to each other. We went through this as partners, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, the heat was not coming from Ray Charles. He, well, let's put it this way. The heat was Ray Charles. He's sitting over our shoulder here, right? Mm -hmm. He was the real deal. We had to approximate the real deal. I think we did it. I think we did a good job. Oh, absolutely. You did a good job. And my favorite scene in the film, and I show my students this, I teach uh, uh, part-time virtual classes and everything because, of course, no instrumental music. So, you know, we uh, do virtual stuff. And I uh, did a class on Atlantic Records, the history of Atlantic Records. And Ray Charles, the scene with him, Jerry Wexler, and Armin Odegan. And how Ahmed Erdogan was so proud of him getting his master's. And I stress to my students the importance of getting your master's and the fact that a black artist in the early 60s was able to get 75 cents on the dollar, explain to them what that meant, and of his records, and then is getting his master's. Like that showed Ray, like Ray Charles was so much more than a musician. I mean, he did everything for, oh, for socially and economically, everything. Mm -hmm. well, that was the important thing to show. I mean, that, you know, like I said, I've not met too many people smarter than Ray Charles. Mm -hmm. he, was, he was it. And I, it was such a pleasure to be able to spend so much time with him. Mm -hmm. I mean, unfortunately, he wasn't alive when the film was released, but he did hear, he did see the film. He caught a scene. I want oh. to see the film. But I had to take it down to his office and show it on a shitty little black and white TV. And <laughs> Think about it, Taylor. What good is me seeing color? going to do me, you know, but he listened. And, and at that point, you know, the big thing for him was uh, his mother, you know, Aretha, yes. mm -hmm. that that was the most important person in his life. And I was shitting bricks because I knew that that was it. If I didn't get his mother right, it was all over. And a mm -hmm. really wonderful actress named uh, Sharon Warren, who was from mm -hmm. Tuskegee, Alabama. Oh, uh, okay. You know, she she played the role, and Ray loved her. He said, "You got her. You got my mama." Man, I'll tell you, that was that was the best review I could ever get. So anyway, that the you know every one of these things is is the is the thing. When a one I was going to mention one of the films that I did, which you know is in your bailiwick, is is in sports. Uh, I made a film called Everybody's All American with Dennis Quaid and Jessica Lange. Yes, yes, and John Goodman. You know, John, oh, mm -hmm. about about you know about football and about the last of course he was like the last uh great running back white running back of a generation we got to go back to the 50s you know <laughs> well christian mccaffrey christian mccaffrey is doing all right he was the first one that came to mind after that that's a tragic story and and mm. and part of the ali story that i told before is tragic yeah. you know it's it's very interesting when you've got people that were blessed I mean, they truly were blessed with gifts, physical gifts beyond what we could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's what that's what a great athlete is. That's what, a, by the way, what a great dancer is. They're athletes. They they are able to defy gravity, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, they're they're blessed with it when we're teenagers. You know, before we've even formed ourselves as men and women. These people are already brilliant. And that's then they go on and they reach their prime and they are extraordinary. Yes, but indeed. the tragedy is they, you know, when other people who have just finally come into their own, they're into their thirties, they're just starting to grow into who they're going to be professionally. Those yes. people are at the end of their road. Mm 
The tragedy is they're going to live another half of their life and never going to be able to do what they were great at. Never going to be not just great, brilliant at. Yeah, that's tragedy there, and that's uh, everybody's all American is about that. And I, you know, my sense about when we were kings, again, I refused to want to show that with Ali. He just meant too much to me. I wanted to keep him in his prime, keep him at the greatest moment, you know, and finish the film there, as opposed to. But you know, he did go, and he did have a very tough you know, final, you know, years, because that's the truth. That's what happens. Right. Absolutely. And, and Taylor's interesting. That's why, like, I love speaking with retired athletes and I'll make sure I'll always get into that with them about, you know, the, the difficult transition of retirement and not doing the routine. You, there's a routine established of being the best. And, you know, like some, some athletes are able to take that routine and be able to translate to some, something else, but others just can't, have the passion for something else like they did with with their particular sport. It's really deep. Yeah. yeah really deep. I mean you you see you see people that have become great sportscasters. Mm-hmm. You know, they're terrific. They got personality. They're making lots of money. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'll bet you if you say to them, you want to trade this for back when you were in your prime, <laughs> <laughs> they would immediately go back there because they, that's what they did best. That's when they were at, they were flying, you know, at, at top speed. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, you know, that, that, you know, and the thing about America, America doesn't want to know about those people. They only want the winners. They don't that's want right. the losers. They don't want the people that are past their prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the sense is that, um, you know, the, the great ones, and, and by the way, ego is plays a huge role. Mm-hmm. By the way, we're talking about ego of actors, ego of directors, ego of all these people. You need an ego. You got to believe you can do it. Right. You got to believe you can knock it out of the park. That's you right. know, you do. You know, when the ego gets destructive, it's tough. But, you know, uh, uh, you know that that uh, that ESPN series on Michael Jordan, you know, last dance. <laughs> Unbelievable. I don't think I've ever seen a piece that was as good at that for actually understanding one, the the sacrifice, the self-sacrifice, but two, the sense of just with his own will, mm-hmm. the ego of, of his greatness, that he was not about to let it go. He was going to pull everybody up. And if they want to think he was an asshole, so be it. Right. You know, but he he decided he was going to be a winner, and he was all the way through. It's a fascinating, really fascinating film uh, to, to see because I think of all films, you can kind of get a sense. This is a man who would not be denied. That's right. And that competitiveness still continued holding grudges, you know, years later, you know, and stuff. So, and then his faces looking at the, and, and the iconic moments, like all the memes that came up with him looking at the iPad and looking and he's like laughing and stuff kind of like, like, or doing this face, like what <laughs> that, that, wow, that drive, that competitiveness. And that, like I said, that bitterness too, at the same time. Oh, he, was, uh, he, he, he had an ego. <laughs> He deserved to have an ego. He was the best. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's right. the thing, you know, and I think at the end, he didn't make a lot of apologies, did he? No, he did not. <laughs> but the no. fact is he could live, he could live with what he'd done. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's the proof of it back there. You know, there it is. Right. So, uh, you know, I think there's a, there's something interesting about that and that process of, uh, 
you know, again, Ray Charles had that. Mm -hmm. Ray Charles was not the easiest human being in the world. Mm -hmm. In fact, he was a difficult son of a bitch. <laughs> of course, geniuses are. <laughs> they are. They are. But mm -hmm. you know what? He he did say to me many times. By the way, he was always great with me. I mean, yeah. a couple of times, only once. And it was only because I didn't get it. And he taught me a huge lesson. But, um, you know, he, he said, yeah, I was, I was tough on people. But I was as tough on myself as I was with him. And my problem is not everybody, and I think it's the same thing with Michael Jordan, not everybody is as tough on themselves. Mm -hmm. and they, they want to get a, you know, get out of jail free card. They want to be let, you know, slide. Mm -hmm. And the people who, you know, Ray Charles running a band, wasn't going to let it slide. It's my band. And I'm going to make sure that you guys play it the way I want it played. Because mm -hmm. this is it. Michael Jordan, the same thing. It's my team, and I'm going to be a winner. And, uh, and I'm going to drag you kicking and screaming across the finish line mm -hmm. in the winner's circle. All right? Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a, a really great um, dramatic thing to, to portray. Well, it really is, really is. And, and it's funny, like I just saw Get On Up, um, you know, the other day, you know, Chadwick's performance as James Brown, that same thing you were talking about, just like it's their, the greats is their band, you know, it's their team, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So while well, in Love Ranch, I got to give a shout out to Mark Jacobson, a good friend, our good mutual friend. And that's how I met Jack Newfield through Mark Jacobson, actually. And, and how I met you too. I think Mark introduced us and Jack introduced us, but I think, um, I think it's, I was hoping you'd bring up that up because, you know, I, I think the audience, you know, your audience may or may not know who Jack Newfield was, but he was a great hero. Jack Newfield, yes. Jack Newfield was a really great journalist, a muckraking journalist. That's right. A guy who fought for the underdog, mm -hmm. who, who was who was in in the working class. He was in the corner of the working class. Yes, and you know, he had this. He, he was the guy who started the. The worst landlords in New York. <laughs> slumlords, slumlords. <laughs> every, every year he'd, he'd pull out and he'd point to say, this year you want to see who was added to the list? There's still, there's still the other people that are around, but these guys have just been added. He was reviled, he was hated, but he didn't give a shit. He was righteous. And That's Jack, right. you know, talk about loving. Jack, you know, he liked sports. He, he dug sports, but... He was he loved boxing. boxing. Yes, he sir. had every everything down. And, and you know, it's interesting. Um, early on, when I was working in public television, mm -hmm. um, I want to talk about a fighter. You know, uh, in in LA, LA has a pretty you know famous tradition of That's fighters. Right. All the form, the form, all those fights will be there. Yep. <laughs> uh, before that, at the mm -hmm. Olympic. And the Olympic, right? The okay. Olympic, mm -hmm. The Olympic was where the mm -hmm. big fights were early on, mm -hmm. and there was a there was a fighter, a Chicano fighter from Pacoima named Bobby Chacon. Oh, action fighter galore! Yeah. <laughs> Bobby Chacon was a lightweight. He started, and and he was, you know, the thing is, he was like, uh, you know, Ali. Mm -hmm. He was like Oscar. He was pretty. Mm -hmm. you know, he was. You, know, you get a guy who is pretty, you know, Sugar Ray, <clears throat> Sugar Ray Leonard. He's pretty and he can move. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing con and he can punch. Yeah. Bobby Chacon can punch. That's right. And uh, you know, so Bobby Chacon fought a lot of world champions and beat him. And he was just a brilliant young fighter. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I, uh, a, a woman that I work with in public television did a piece on him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I went to the Olympic and I saw him fight. He was fighting this Mexican fighter. He was defending his, his he, be, he beat Indian Red Lopez. Uh, oh, Danny Lopez. Yep. Yeah. In, uh, in, to win for the championship. And he, he was fighting this guy. And uh, we were there with, you know, the, and the Olympic was like, you, you were in a fighting place. You, you know, and, you know, a fight crowd can be wild. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember Bobby is the homeboy, you know, he's there yeah. and everyone's kind of giving him a thing. And then, and then, uh, you know, they introduced the, the uh, fighter he was fighting. who was called, in, his nickname was the newsboy from Mexico City. He fought in the streets and he was tough. Oh. But there they said, they said, uh, you know, they were introducing all the celebrity, you know, other ex-champions and the people that were in the crowd. And then this guy says, and ladies and gentlemen, we have the honor tonight. He's come all the way from Mexico to 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 root for his before root for the newsboy. And they introduced Mario Morena Cantinflas, you know, the famous comedian. Wow. The entire roof, the entire roof blew off this place. It was like, I mean, and the ovation went for 10 minutes. And he was up in the balcony, stood up and waved. Now, this is a, a real idol. And, then, you know, L.A. is the Mexican town, right? That's right yeah. You know, L.A. has got a lot of illegals, a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. And they were all there that night. And I, I looked at the person I was there with, and I went, holy shit. If Bobby wins, we better get our ass out of here. <laughs> we're, we're surrounded. And he was Chicano, right? He was yeah. Chicano. We're surrounded by Mexicans. But anyway, uh, Chacon was a great fighter, and and there's drama in fights. He married this his first wife. He married this girl. She was a very sweet, very good looking girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a baby, and uh, but she wanted him to quit because she knew, you know, Bobby, you can't fight this, and he's invincible. He's just undefeated. He's yeah. so great. And and so now she said, you've got to promise me to quit. So he promised that he would quit after the next fight or after mm-hmm. two more fights, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did. And then, of course, all the promoters came and said, my God, we got to get Chacon to fight again, offering more money, more money. Yeah. But mostly, if this is what you do, we were talking about it before, about Ali. If this mm-hmm. is what you do, you'll never be i don't care how great you are as great as you are in the ring he came back and he came back and fought and she committed suicide so talk about tragic i mean just unbelievable and this is all coming back to jack newfield but anyway you know basically he never recovered after that i mean you can imagine you know he, he he fought and his wife committed suicide it was just terrible he had a he he fought and he was he was still good, but he wasn't invincible. Yeah. And when I was making uh, <clears throat> uh, Devil's Advocate, I you know I had a fight in there with Roy Jones, with, the Roy Jones, yeah, Roy Jones Jr. and Ike Forte. Was um, that? Oh, I uh, was that Otis Grant or no, no, it was Ike something from uh, from from Africa. Oh, I was it was it Quasi? Corte, yeah, no, Corte. So that's right. They acted, you know, fighting against him. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. They weren't acting. That was a championship fight. Oh, oh no. What? But it wasn't Ike. Ike was a welterweight. Um, oh. oh, I tell you. He went up. He went up to fight. Okay. They, they fought. Oh, and, okay. And I shot it at the garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I met Don King that night. <laughs> but I, 
you know, I'd, I'd gone to Vegas to meet Don King. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was this was a, one of Don King's uh, Tyson fights. Uh, he was fighting a guy from Canada. Um, what was his name? Wait, Tyson, my, oh, Razor Ruddick. No, no, from Canada. He was, he was the champion of Canada. Big guy with big 21 inch arms. Um, oh, that Tyson was fighting. Yeah, yeah, it was a championship fight. But it was one of those fights yeah, that, mm -hmm. it was one of those fights that, you know, Don King fight. He set up, got everybody there. You know, if you, you know, about going to, you know, you want to see the flash of whatever, white and black, you go to, you see a heavyweight fight in Vegas. It's all there, you know, it's it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, uh, what was his name? Bruce. Oh, Bruce Selden. Bruce Selden. Bruce Selden. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. You remember that fight? I mean, yeah. you know, come out in the first round. <laughs> I, I was there, I was close to the thing. Tyson comes across and swings and, and goes about two inches above Selden's head and Selden hits a canvas. Yeah, that was... <laughs> He ran the first round. He came out the second round, grazed the top of Selden's head, and he went down for the count. And it was a really ugly scene because people had paid a lot of money, and it was like really an ugly night. Mm -hmm. In fact, that night, that was the night that Tupac Shakur got murdered. That's in right. It was September 13th. No, September 7th, 1995. And then he yeah. died a week later. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And he, mm -hmm. was, uh, he was there. Wow. He was at the fight. Yeah. He saw him. But anyway, um, the, the, that afterwards, you know, here's Don King in this infamous moment of everybody wanting to kill him because it was such a put up job. Mm -hmm. He had a press conference after to announce the first Mike Tyson Holofield fight. And you go from people, the journalists and everybody wanting to kill uh, Don King to going have Evander Holofield, Mike Tyson there in this press conference, and everybody's going, "Wow, this is going to be a fight!" And of course, the two fights were amazing, history-making fights. Mm -hmm. But I was there the night they because I had to meet Don King because mm -hmm. I wanted him to be in, De in, De in Devil's Advocate, which yeah. he was, by the way. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm I'm there. I'm watching this whole drama, this whole circus going on that Don's orchestrating, and there's a guy walking through sweeping up cigarette butts as as out where we were all sitting standing and i'm looking and, and the guy taps me and he goes bobby chacon and i could not believe it you know he'd been through it all he'd gone through the pain of the of a of a real boxing career and the tragedy that he'd gone through and so on and there he was still still around, but in the most humiliating circumstance. Just broke my heart. So that's another idea about the tragedy of boxing. And, and now getting back to what we started with, Jack Newfield. Jack, mm -hmm. Jack had a library of all the fights and he had, he had you know, half inch cassettes, right? <laughs> he had them all on the wall. And I told him that story and he said, you wanna see something? And there was a fight near the end of Bobby Chacon's career where he had taken a fight. He was got, there was a young fighter who was really going places. And, you know, Chacon had had a name, so they, they, they put him in, but it was going to be a brutal affair because this young fighter was going to cut him up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, for about six, seven rounds, he did. And then some, that old thing hit inside. 
Bobby Chagun come out and just nailed the guy, knocked him right out. Wow. Nothing, nothing ever happened, but it was you know, that greatness was always in there. Mm-hmm. Something just said, to hell with it. I'm going to, you know, he reached in, he reached down. This is what, you know, fighters, he reached out. And I was, I love Jack because he, you know, he, he knew how pained I was seeing Bobby mm-hmm. in that, in that Vegas situation, that horrible, humiliating situation. He said, right. let me show you Bobby Chacon when he really reached down and could do it again. It was great. I, I, Jack Newfield was he was one of the greatest. Oh, yes, he was. And 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 you can talk to him about anything too. What a great listener as well, you know, like and and well, wow, so amazing. And 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 Mark, you know, Mark Jacobson wrote the script for Love Ranch, you know, and you two worked together and everything. And well, Mark, you know, Mark, Mark, uh, I met through Jack and mm-hmm. I love yeah. I still, you know, Mark is a terrific, terrific guy. I mean, you know, listen, going to those fight nights at at uh, at, at Jack's. You know, you're there and, um, you know, you look over and there's Jose Torres. I mean, I'm, you know, and, and over here is, is, uh, Sonny Franchese, uh, the gangster, you know, <laughs> Sonny Franchese, exactly. And, and, uh, 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 oh, Bud, uh, Shulman. Oh, Bud Shulman. Bud Shulman. Bud Shulman. On the waterfront. Bud, unbelievable. So it was always great, but I'll tell you the most amazing experience that mm-hmm. I had at Jack's. Mm-hmm. It was the second Hollifield fight, and we were there. Bite fight. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and uh, Jack would have a barbecue before in the afternoon beforehand. Uh, before the fight, you have a barbecue. We have a few beers, and then we'd all go in when the thing started. So Teddy Atlas came by. Uh, who was the guest on my show too? One of my good friends. Teddy yeah. <laughs> yeah, came by for the barbecue, mm-hmm. and uh, we're sitting around out in the in the in the backyard. And uh, Jack goes, uh, and and uh, Teddy said, "Listen, I'm not going to watch. But I'm going to go home to watch it." And so Jack went, well, "So what are you? How are you calling it?" He said, "He said I, you know, this whole thing about uh, uh, Mike get, coming after the referee and wanting getting him disqualified and." all that stuff. He says, I know, because, you know, remember who Teddy trained with. That's right. Know? That's right. Customato. Customato. That, yes, yes. And that whole incident with Mike and everything. So he knew Mike Tyson. He said, I know Mike. He said, Mike is a, you know, incredible fighter, but he's, but he's a bully. And with a bully, he said, Evander's not a bully, but Evander, he'll go in, he'll stand toe to toe. He said, he did in the first fight and, and we saw what happened. Mm-hmm. He said, this fight, I think Mike's scared. He said, I, I think Mike's going to foul on purpose. And I think the, fi- the fight will be over in the fifth or sixth round. Now, he said that <laughs> in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And we're like, really? I think Mike's going to come. Everybody said, oh, Mike's coming back this time. And then we went in. Teddy went home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, the, and we watched the fight. And he did the ear biting. And it Third was round. Over. Yep. <laughs> over. And yeah. Teddy Atlas had predicted it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. And uh, Jack called him and said, Teddy, I can't believe you called this. Exactly. He said what was going to happen. He said, you know, people's character doesn't change. That's right. And Taylor, you know what was crazy, too, about Mike was winning that third round. 
before even like so i think mike was seeing that okay i had probably the best round in the last 10 years of my career like because you know he's in jail and everything he probably was saying wow i have not fought this good since the late 80s and holyfield was still standing there right you oh, know oh, and that's, that's right that's right you know and mike because mike as boxing his technique everything was flawless that round but he saw holy holyfield it, it didn't affect him and that's and like teddy said that's what happened he he knew he wasn't going to win that fight you know yep. so. yeah so it's anyway uh, th those kinds of things could happen at jack newfields that, yes, indeed. You know, nobody knows about but except for us that were there uh but it was it was a, a really rare fabulous fabulous time very fabulous and 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 i got a couple questions for you before i let you go i know you're so busy and thank you for being on where they at such an honor and privilege to have you on taylor and um and with and with love ranch like you know you love the area that you ended up you know and you said you ended up moving out to tahoe like tahoe and everything like with as a result but talk about working with helen mirren a, a consummate professional like yourself and the fact that you're married and and, and it you know how was that chemistry professionally well it, it was really interesting and joe pesci you know who oh, was of course great, yes, great, great actor mm -hmm. um it was it was and brian cranston was that movie it was, it was, yeah it was, <laughs> I, I, the thing is that movie was you, you never like i said earlier it isn't for the audience to know what happened on the picture and the making of it they got to go look at the picture and see it and i'm proud of the picture but uh, that was a very difficult movie, not because of the people involved, because mm -hmm. the people involved were terrific. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the person financing the movie, um, you know, you know, you, 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 you do the thing, you make the, the budget, you go there, you're shooting. And I'm shooting and, and uh, my line producer comes to me and says, says it's on a Thursday. And he says, uh, I'm not going to have any money to pay them tomorrow the crew everybody and i can't let that you know i can't let the actors know that i can't let the crew know that yes, right. i'm trying to get performances i'm trying to drive this thing forward but the guy was reneging and uh it, it was it was a really difficult difficult time not physically but emotionally psychically because you're you're you know when you you know part of being a filmmaker is pushing everybody towards your vision pushing them towards the finish line and you know that you can some people like you some people don't like you doesn't matter you've got to get there and you've got to try to get there with as much um style passion and, and art artistry as possible but when you know but nobody else does that that you're not going to be they're not going to get their paychecks and uh so what what we did you know, and this is the way it worked throughout. We took a chance. We The guy says, oh, no, I'm good for it. It'll come this weekend. Don't worry. I promise. So on Friday, after I had a week's work, I, I had to meet with everybody. And I basically said, listen, no money came. And uh, and you can turn, you can, you can quit. Uh, the guy promises that um, on Monday night you'll be paid. And I wanted to make it painful for him. So you'll get a check on Monday with 25% more if just for holding out and not quitting on us. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's up to you. If you call the union tomorrow, you know, right now, you didn't get paid, we're finished, we're wrapped. Then everybody will have to go home. 
Um, so sure enough, on Monday, the guy sent the money and they got 25% more. So everybody was fine. But, you know, the problem is this happened several times. Every week, you know, will we get the money? Will we finish the picture? Uh, the film, you know, I, I went home, I cut the film, but it didn't come out for another year because there was no money to bring it out. I don't mean release it. We didn't have money to finish. Mm. It just, you know, every so there must have been problems on that picture. Well, there weren't problems uh, artistically. There weren't problems emotionally. Uh, the only thing about Helen, you, you asked, she knew because we're living together, right? <laughs> I, I couldn't keep it from her. Oh, wow. Uh, so she knew what was going on, although she had just come from a movie with the flu. She was sick as a dog. Mm. You know, you got to do these things. You got to go through and you got to make it work. But, um, you know, the, 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 the sense of making the film, we made it in Albuquerque in New Mexico mm-hmm. for a majority of it because the terrain looks like northern Nevada. Oh, so you did it down there. Okay, okay. I thought yeah, we, went to, we went to Reno for one week. Mm-hmm. So we shot in Albuquerque. You know, those, you, Albuquerque doesn't have the strip. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have <laughs> you know, the, the, the main drag with all the casinos. So we went there. We went to uh, Reno then, and I and I and I went up on um, on Donner Pass. I, I went up and I saw Lake Tahoe on that way, and I fell in love with it. And, and so we moved up there later, 10, 10 years later. But uh, the you know when you make a film, again uh, you know with again no one knows the hiccups. People hear. Here, there's a lot of rumors that go when a picture doesn't come out on time. They say, oh, there's got to be problems. I mean, my friend, my friend David O. Russell, who's a great mm, film. Great. Oh, God. Flirting with Disasters, one of my favorite films ever. Yeah. <laughs> David is a fantastic filmmaker. Yes, indeed. He was making a film for the same company the same time I was making Love Ranch. Mm, okay. And um, they, they, they shut down. He couldn't finish the picture. So, you know, he knows only only people like David and I understand where you're trying to, you've got people, you've sold them on the project, you're trying to lead them towards a, 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 a successful conclusion artistically. Mm-hmm. And and at the same time, they're not, you're, you're, the people you've sold are not getting paid. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it was very, very tough. So that film, I, I think of, I'm, I'm, proud of the film. I love the film. And I think some of the performances are really great. Uh, and, um, yes. but, but, um, the, the behind the scenes, the, the pain and suffering that we went through and making that film was pretty tough. Wow. That's deep. And I, and I remember like even talking with Mark and Lou, Lou Tabella as well, who was a producer on it talking before the film was made and just like the buildup and they were so excited about is coming about and and uh yeah and then yeah, it's a shame that but but that's the thing at the end of the day like it's, you said you gotta power a, through power through you know, you know debella debella who is is i love debella he's he's a tough customer he's really <laughs> really good at what he does yeah. he's like come on it'll be like this i said you know i said lou you're not gonna write a check this guy's not as by the balls what are we gonna do you know and uh but in the long but i said you know don't tell me that being a boxing promoter, you haven't met some moments like this. He goes, <laughs> <laughs> that Lou face, like, yeah, yeah. 
absolutely. Well, now before, um, oh, before I let you go, I have a segment uh, that I do with, you know, if with athletes like, you know, fast break or hit and run for a baseball player or no huddle for football players. So of course, as an artist, you know, I got to use a film name. I use, I name it fast motion, you know, like this is where I ask you some questions and uh, yeah. And give me like quick answers. If you want to elaborate on those answers, totally free. But I think, uh, yeah, I think you're going to enjoy these. So here we go. You ready? Yep. <laughs> All right. Now the Godfather one or two, which you prefer? One. Okay. Okay. Great. I I that's a tough one because there's such great films. Listen, I had the, I had the incredible honor about three years ago. Tribeca. Of the reunion at Radio City of the main cast members, all the main actors on Godfather 1 and 2. Oh. And Francis Coppola, I was the moderator. Yes. And, uh, and this was Tribeca Film Festival, right? Was yeah, it was Tribeca yeah. Film Festival. Mm -hmm. And it was unbelievable. And they had screened both films, one and two. And uh, then they had them all get up on stage. And I had great questions. And I really got up. This is a history-making thing. There were 6,000 people in Radio City, and not one person was ready to leave. So I started asking questions, and I'm getting around. You know, I've got to get, you know, I've got to have every actor talk. And mm -hmm. they were ready to give. They were ready to do it. And so was Francis. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there after about 45, 50 minutes, and I get this note handed to me. And it said, the stage crew says, wrap it up. And I go, to hell with that. I'm not going <laughs> to. This is history here. Right. I don't see anybody out there in the audience ready to go. They were loving it. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I'm there and uh, I get another thing handed to me five minutes later saying, if you don't wrap it up, they're going to turn the lights up. Wow. And I thought, son of a bitch. They don't understand. You know, they don't give a shit about history. They wanted to go home. They'd been there all day. They'd had the, the, the two screenings, and now they've been there for an hour. I think the whole thing lasted an hour and 15 minutes. It could have gone on for three hours. And yes. let me tell you, I had great questions, and they were all ready to give. All of them would have told you the truth. Mm. It was fantastic. And, I, you know, talk about missed opportunities. It broke my heart. Wow. Just like Fredo did to Michael. You know, yeah. bro, <laughs> broke my heart. Well, wow, that's that's a deep story. Wow, my goodness. Um, uh, well, now, okay, underrated film that not many people have talked about. You know, a film that that you see has real relevance, but a film that kind of gets forgotten in mainstream. God, there's so many of those. There's so many of those. Um, or maybe a film that has a personal connection with you. I was going to say the the the, the problem is that uh, you know uh, a great friend of mine and a great director uh, was a guy named Bud Bedeker, okay. and he was a director of of westerns. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we know about John Ford, we know about all those people that did great, but I mean, anybody who really is appreciator of westerns knows Bud Bedeker. Mm -hmm. because he made a group of Westerns that all starred Randolph Scott in the, in the fifties, mid fifties. Oh, okay. And uh, Randolph, the thing that was fascinating about, they were called the Ranone Westerns. Randolph Scott produced, them. Bud, Bud Bedeker directed them and a guy named Burt Kennedy, a great writer wrote them. But the thing that was distinctive about them 
And Randolph Scott played the straight man. He played this straight guy, kind of boring. And, you know, Randolph Scott was the producer. He understood his limitations. But, and by the way, he, you know, he was, he was really good at doing what he did. But this group of films, or seven films, introduced the sympathetic bad guy in those movies. They were B movies. They were even C movies that <laughs> were seen in drive-ins out there. But they were made, and they introduced some of the great, great bad guys of Hollywood. So listen to this list. Lee Marvin. Oh, yep. Craig Stevens, who played Mr. Lucky on TV. <laughs> yep. Parnell Roberts, who was in uh, Bonanza. James Coburn. Oh, James Coburn. Yeah, who won for Stephen Affliction. Coburn. Affliction, his yeah. role in that. And I'll tell you who else. Richard Boone, Have, Have Gun, Will Travel. All, all of these incredible actors uh -huh. played the bad guy in these Bud Bedecker Westerns with Randolph Scott. So there's a, there's, that's not one film. That's a series of films. But I guarantee you, if you like Westerns, you look at that group of, of renowned Westerns by, directed by uh, Bud Bedecker, written by Burt Kennedy, produced by Randolph Scott, starring Randolph Scott, with all of those great character actors. Yeah. It, 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 they're, they're killers. They're really good. Okay, I'm gonna check those out. Definitely, absolutely, for sure. Wow, and uh, now, oh, now, um, the foreign filmmaker who should have more recognition within American film circles, because, you know, film is international. Well, there's a lot of those, too. Most, <laughs> most of them. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know, you know, at this point, you know, one wonders what people remember of the foreign films, you know? I mean, Kurosawa, one of the great filmmakers and yes, you know and he, he was recognized he did seven samurai won the academy mm -hmm. award you know mm -hmm. so he did get recognition yeah but not the kind of recognition that he deserved mm -hmm. you know so you got the 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 kurosawas the fellinis the bergmans mm -hmm. they got it you know you know fastbender great oh, great yeah. director mm -hmm. i guess he got some but i don't think he got enough mm -hmm. um and you so, know, Antonioni, Antonioni was such a, a big jazz fan too. You know, like yeah. oh, love is. Yeah. I mean, you know, Antonioni. When you when you see Blow Up, you know, he I, all his Italian films are unbelievable. But, but Blow Up is an amazing thing where you have got this Italian who comes to London at the height of when London was really happening, and he's got the Yardbirds playing. You know, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty pretty amazing piece. And well, Herbie, Herbie wrote the score too. When you see you know, I'm a big Claude Chabral fan, you know, okay. who was uh, not known that much in the United States. You know, he's he's definitely known in Europe, and he made some great films. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, there there are you know innumerable, uh, and and I can tell you, really obscure people. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, you know, Jean Pierre Melville is a great, great, great director, and mm -hmm. and I'm a huge fan of his. And, uh, and have been involved in some retrospectives of his work. Now he's a big French director, mm -hmm. known by a few group, a, a group, a, a certain elite in the United States of filmmakers who understand the greatness of him, of his films. But uh, you know, Jean-Pierre Melville is a, like a good example. Ooh, wow, those are some great names that I want to delve into for sure. Like, and, and look at their works. Wow. Um, now. Who would you want to work with that you haven't yet? 
interesting uh you know i've worked with some great people and there's a lot that i would would like to but i you know i hate putting it out there because then if i say that um you know i've, I've been very lucky i've worked with you know i work with de niro i work with pacino <laughs> i work with uh helen Mirren, i work with kathy bates yeah i work with you know some really great people uh, that and and a lot of actors i haven't mentioned who were you know i work with jamie fox Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, you know, that was that was as rewarding an experience as I've ever had. Mm -hmm. So I've worked with a lot of people, you know, um, you know, you know, and, and, and when you work with people and, you know, you've got their best performance, Richard Gere's performance in Officer and Gentleman, I think, is yep. one of the highlights of his career, if not the right. highlight. That's right. Um, you know, they're great people. They're terrific people that you um, are fortunate enough to be able to inspire. And then they uh, give you back, you know, more than you gave them and they deliver something great. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I don't think that I can really, uh, there's a lot of actors that I wish I could work with, but I, I think naming one is kind of like, uh, it, I don't, I, I, I feel I'd, I'd um, jinx myself. Oh, okay. Okay. No, that, 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 that definitely is understandable. Definitely understandable. Well, wow. now most intriguing film score that you've experienced that, brings chills i think i think intriguing you know there's a lot of great film scores i love jerry fielding's film score for uh the wild bunch okay i think it had you know that's a that's a that's a very passionate strong movie with mm. unbelievable uh you know graphics on the screen you know and i don't mean just the blood i mean it's pretty amazing but his score was fantastic it just it fit that huge canvas and i think that's a great piece of work well i'm writing notes i'm writing notes definitely because i've never seen the wild bunch i've i've never yeah. seen it I've, oh, that's like on that's been on a list of mine for a long time see i mentioned these westerns because the westerns i happen to be a big fan of westerns although i've never made one uh westerns are the great kind of american passion right mm -hmm. kind of work that's up there and when you see sergio leone's films you can't think of his films and not think of, you know, Morricone. You can't think mm -hmm. of his composer. He, yes. You know, Morricone was able to write those unbelievable scores mm -hmm. with that passion. Like I said, Jerry Fielding did mm -hmm. uh, with, the, you know, that, that The Wild Bunch, which was a predecessor of, of I think, Spaghetti Westerns, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but Leone wrote, did these, you know, he just took it up a notch, these amazing things. But, you know, you had to have a composer who wasn't, you, you know, that's the opposite. It wasn't a composer who had to disappear. This is a composer who had to step up and say, I got to cover these incredibly passionate visuals. Yeah. And Morricone did. He just yes, died he this year. It was amazing. Yes. Oh, God. One of my favorite. And, and, and the trumpet player. People don't realize that was his main instrument, trumpet, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, now, okay. If you were an athlete, what sport would you play? Be a professional athlete? Well, I played basketball in high school. Ah, okay. okay. I, I, I grew up playing baseball. My, my, my brother was a professional baseball player. Oh, uh, okay. And, Who's your brother? Uh, What's your brother's name? His name was Skip Packford. He was a third baseman. He, uh, he, he, he was, you know, he grew up and he was, Eddie Matthews went to Santa Barbara High. And then went to the Milwaukee Braves and was in the Hall of Fame. Yes, uh, my brother hey. was. My brother was there two years later, and he he matched Eddie Matthews' batting average, 
he then went in the Pacific Coast League uh, in in California, and he got drafted, went to Korea. So he fought in Korea. He got decorated in Korea. He, my mother thought he was going to die in Korea. He came back, you know. So you give up, you give up four years of your prime. He comes back. He starts playing ball again. He starts. He goes up and he's playing Triple A mm-hmm. in the Pirates organization. The next, they were going to bring him up the next year. He's twenty-four years old, and uh, he's working in the off-season. He got electrocuted. So he never got to go to the big show, although I believe he bat- he batted three fifty four in in Charleston, South Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, in the Pirates triple triple A team. Mm-hmm. I believe we would have gotten there. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, that that process. So I played I played, but I but I, you know, I played early on baseball and and football. But I really basketball was my sport. I loved it. Wow, no doubt he would have played, he, he, but. I wasn't any all-star, you know, I, I, oh. I, played, I played varsity. I got my letter, but uh, you know, you know, at a certain point, that's what I'm saying. When you meet the people who do are truly gifted, mm-hmm. you know, they're going on and you're not. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it makes me think of your brother, your brother probably would have played with Mazeroski and Clemente yeah. and those yeah. cats, you know, and, and Ralph Kiner. Wow. Um, now, if you were a musician, what instrument would you play? Well, I played the piano growing up. Okay. Okay. Well, I like the piano, and I, you know, I got at a certain point I played classical piano, uh, but you know, at a certain point I just, you know, I knew that if I wanted to, this is the thing about being a musician: you either go there and you dedicate yourself, or you don't. Mm-hmm. It, you know, so I, I, I never went there. I, I concentrated on other things. Wow. And uh, and one more question in the in the uh, fast motion segment: if you could break bread with anyone, dead or alive that you never met, who would that person be? You know, I met some interesting people. I, I broke I broke bread with Celia Cruz. Oh, wow. Yes. And queen, uh, the queen. Yeah. And uh, I think and I broke bread with Ray Charles and I broke bread with a lot of people that that uh, that are really truly great and I admire hugely. I think, you know, I never, I met Ali, but I never broke bread with him. And there's, like I said, he would have been a, he would have been a kick. Yes. He would have been something really special. That would have been fun to just sit at a meal and, and have him, you know, recount his, uh, whatever he was going to recount. Cause you know, it was going to be over. It was going to be amazing. Oh, that is for sure. That is for sure. Wow. And, and before I let you go Taylor, now, um, Signal Hill, I wanted to ask you about that film. That wh- How is it going with the development? Because it's really deep. No, not happening. It's a real pain. You, know, oh. like, you, you, you have no idea the number of projects that you do. In the film business, people think, oh, well, you come up with this. No, you come up with something, you, um, you develop it, you, you know, it, it could be really really cool uh that was one that that you know existed there was a really good script that existed uh anthony mackey was going to play johnny mm-hmm. cock yes indeed oh i know anthony well that's good yeah good and uh, and elizabeth banks was going to play this reporter mm-hmm. it's a really interesting story that people don't know about they don't know about johnny cochran's first you know he you know his first wrongful death suit mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is really interesting in long beach and that's what signal hill was about 
but we couldn't raise the money for it. Nobody wanted to make it. There's a lot of those. I mean, I tell you right now, I'm, I'm working with, uh, you know who Walter Mosley is? Oh, the great author. Yes. Yes, indeed. Walter, Walter and I pitched a project to um, Apple Plus about the life of Louis Armstrong. It's a streaming series. Oh, okay. We want to talk about, you know, somebody who changed American culture. Changed he's, the- he's American music. That's yeah. it right there. <laughs> And, and they did, they, they did, uh, they've given us a development project. I'm working on it right now with Walter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walter's off in Atlanta, you know, we're, and he'll be back soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, you know, we're, we're doing that and hopefully uh, they'll like it and, and they'll want to, they'll want to do it. That would be great. Oh, no, it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be well-made. No doubt about that. And, and, uh, and, and it's a shame with what's going on. In, I mean, police brutality against people of color. I mean, it's happened for centuries. And sing, I think Signal Hill could, could get a second legs. I, I, th- this film has to be made, you know, for sure. Cause it, I would it, hope so. But I mean, the thing is, it, it, because Johnny Cochran was such a showman, Johnny Cochran was this. But you've got to realize that, that when he took on this case, because he was representing the Panthers, he was, he was representing people. That's right. Uh, That's right. Uh, you know, Geronimo Pratt was, there was secretly, he, he had defended Geronimo Pratt and, and would never forgave himself for Geronimo, Geronimo went, went back to jail. Mm-hmm. Jamie was going to play Geronimo Pratt in that film. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Signal Hill is a really interesting piece because you're realizing somebody who's up against, you know, he's up against the police. He's mm-hmm. up against the thing where, you know, the police don't, the police had fabricated information. You know, this this black kid had, you know, was a really star, a star linebacker uh, mm-hmm. you know, down, down in that in the in the San Pedro so, area. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, and, and uh, actually in Long Beach and so on. And uh, Johnny Cochran lost. And uh, but, you know, Johnny Cochran stood up with balls of steel and, and, and fought. It was an amazing story. And uh, in the long run, you know, he went, he came back and he didn't lose. You know, it's one of those things where you, you lose, but everybody knows you won. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's, it's a great story. Um, but, you know, like I said, you, you, I've got a lot of those that I, that I spent a lot of time doing. I would love to have made uh, every filmmaker does. You've got the ones that you were able to do and the ones that got away. Yes. Wow. Well, Mr. Taylor Hackford, I gotta say, you, um, there are, there are, Many projects that did not get away. There were many projects that you enhanced, many projects that you inspired so many filmmakers and inspired the art form. And, uh, and it's such an honor to speak with you about so many different topics. And thank you for joining me on Where They At on the 42nd edition. Levante, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to the 42nd edition of Where They At with the great Taylor Hackford. I mean... Wow, you know, great to talk with him, uh, honored to know him, and great to catch up with him and, and to get his his reflection, his his insight, his wisdom, his memories, everything um, of, of an illustrious career that he's had for nearly 50 years in, in the entertainment industry, uh, film industry, and uh, one of the best directors of the last 40 years for sure so such an honor to have mr taylor hackford on where they at and uh now if you want to listen to other episodes of where they at subscribe and or rate on spotify 
Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, also Stitcher, and of course, Catropolis Radio Network, where my podcast streams every Monday night at 8 p.m. So it's Catropolis, C-A-S-T-R-O-P-O-L-I-S.net, Catropolis.net. So yeah, definitely you could be able to check out past episodes, great episodes, a la this particular episode as well with the great Taylor Hackford. And if you like the music, make sure to check out my website, which I just updated, which is N-A-B-A-T-E-I-S-L-E-S, nabateisles.com. So you can check out my music and check out my album, Eclectic Excursions, and also a single that I released at the end of last year, dedicated to Chadwick Boseman with a great hip hop artist named Niles and a wonderful singer by the name of Beth Griffin Manley from The Voice. So you can check that track out as well. And thank you once again for listening to Where They At. Listen to my interview with Taylor Hackford and thank you for your support. Make sure you be safe, be blessed and treat each other with respect and kindness please, because we need it in this society right now, to say the least. Thank you all for listening. Have a good one. God bless.